Oh my God, it is 2023 and we are back with a passion. To all five of our listeners, we are back, baby. Woohoo! Uh, hey, Natasha, how's it going? <laughs> like, that was like, oh, five listeners, really? That's it? I don't know. Hi, I don't know. That's great. That's great. I, th- I think that's huge. Five listeners. Just imagine what you can do with that in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Five people can change the world. You got five people. Boom, we're we're good to go. Totally. Today, I was actually just kind of roughing it out on what exactly we we're going to talk about. But and since we missed on some really golden points of 2022, mm-hmm. obviously the biggest theme being the World Cup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hosted in Qatar. There's a lot of like back and forth with how that went down. Over actually, it was not just during the World Cup. It was over the past few years during development of this whole lead up to the world cup exactly. right yeah. and so let's let's jump into that i really wanted um for us to kind of like understand what exactly went down with the world cup because there's issues from um migrants to to cor- um corrupt politicians to you name it it goes all the way through sure so, yeah yeah let's let's dive right into that um right so wait when did the um, when did they get the world cup like what is it like a license or like yeah. an award? What happens there? How does uh, that work? Um, so I think it was actually um, you, you can correct me on this, but I think it was somewhere in uh, because there's a bid, right? There's a there's a bid yeah. that goes in. So I think this yeah. actually happened in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right, because they said something like 15 years of yeah. Yeah, construction, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it should be yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere there. Yeah, and so the controversy didn't even start um, in in twenty twenty two. The controversy actually started back in I think it was two thousand and twelve when the bid was won by Qatar. Um, when I think there was a, a lot of sort of um, voices um, from mainly, of course, Western countries uh, regarding how Qatar won the bid. Um, why it was given to Qatar, there were all of these different questions. Um, And then I think um, Qatar had kind of uh, promised to put in something like $300 million uh, in terms of uh, development of stadiums, basically in terms of of turning uh, the destination uh, into, into the perfect destination for the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, like they said, Doha was like I think the budget was like two hundred twenty-nine billion. Yeah. And they were going to build like a new like new cities, yes. multiple stadiums, and a metro of sorts. Yeah, which is, is, is which they did, which which they did. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and and also, um, I think the cool thing about it was, uh, it was the first Middle Eastern country. Well, I thought it was the a cool thing. Lots of people thought it wasn't, <laughs> but it was the yeah. first uh, Middle Eastern country to actually uh, host a World Cup. Um, and yeah, so so tracking back. Um, uh, Qatar, as you know, uh, many of the Middle Eastern countries actually, uh, they rely a lot on migrant workers. Uh, so for for a sort of event like this, of this magnitude, uh, where there's so much construction that's needed, there's so much of infrastructure that goes into it, um, they would be relying very heavily uh, on a sort of foreign migrant um, worker population. And where uh, do these migrant people, um, these workers come from? Yeah, so I think there's a a majority of them that comes uh, from South Asia, um, uh, Southeast Asia, 
um, but uh, from different parts of the world, but of course, uh, mainly developing nations. Um, right. Uh, so we're, we're talking about the actual uh, workers, like the construction workers, um, the hard hats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of the controversy started uh, from that point on. Uh, there are lots of factors also that you need to uh, feed in to the discourse. So I think in 2022, uh, when arrangements for the World Cup was actually being made, uh, the main narrative that we were hearing was um, there are so many abuses of, of human rights in terms of migrant workers um, from Qatar um, and, and everyone should sort of boycott it. That was the main narrative. Uh, but there are a lot of okay. factors that need to be um, fed in to understand the sort of whole picture. Um, right. of, of course, in the Middle East, you would understand that um, weather plays uh, a very large uh, part of the sort of difficulties that migrant workers would face in terms of infrastructure projects because it's so hot. You know, that's one of the right. main things. Um, so I think over a period of... Um, uh, 12 or 15 years, um, there are obviously a lot of migrant workers that do lose their lives during this process um, mm-hmm. based on, on, on different aspects. You know, it could be health-related uh, issues. It could be because of the heat. It could actually be because of um, machinery. Um, so I think that discussion... Um, started gaining a little bit more traction uh, just before the World Cup was about to launch. Um, And that kind of um, started uh, a sort of domino effect of talking about the different reasons uh, why you should be boycotting um, Qatar as a destination for the World Cup. Right. Yeah, so I I think we could start off from that. So in what standard is it like... Sorry, like I'm just trying to understand it from. So, so they're saying the narrative was that it's a human rights issue. Yeah. But what what we're looking at is obviously the destination itself is hot. Yeah. And so you have to obviously understand that the place is hot. Yes. Uh, your working conditions are going to fluctuate based on that weather. Um, are you? But okay, I can understand that part yeah. of you know that's out of control. You have to do what you can, cooling fans, etc., sure. to help people work. Yeah. But. There's also were a legal not, system. Were migrants not prepped? Like, weren't they told, hey, if you're going to Qatar for work, you know, it, the situation is not as easy as you think. Yeah. Were they ever prepped or is it just them being thrown blind? No, into, you know, into the, these you know Jason, I think if it was, if you we were talking about this in the, and, and maybe we can also go into that, uh, the kafala system, for instance, uh, we can go into that. But if we were talking about this, um, in the 1950s, when there was sort of economic boom in these Middle Eastern countries because of the oil, because of the minerals, because of all of these different things. Uh, if it was during that time, then I think uh, there is an ability to kind of say um, that you're heading into it blindly. Uh, but I, I, I would think at this moment in time um, that there is a sort of knowing, there is a sort of understanding um, of what you are going towards. Uh, but at the same time, um, there is also an understanding that because uh, these workers are coming uh, from a certain 
level of society uh, and because they're coming for sort of, uh, you know, it's it's mainly economic, right? It's almost like they're economic migrants because um, they're leaving their countries behind because they know they could be earning much more uh, if they go into the Middle East. And I really, I mean, I think that's, that's great. Um, especially countries like ours have um, have benefited in terms of economics, but at the same time, there are lots of um, sort of structural issues. There are gaps. There are problems when it comes to these sort of things. Um, right. so, so it's I, not that the Qatari government is, you know, is mishandling it. It's really like the infrastructure in place. It, correct me if I'm wrong. What yeah. you're saying is infrastructure in place to get migrant workers coming from all, all these South Asian countries. I mean, there's bad players in every game. Yes. And it just could be very much that it, they're like telling you, oh, you're going to go work for this particular home. Yeah. But really, you're going to be working construction. Well, and you'd probably ruin your back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, okay, so the uh, so we'll, we'll go down to the, the kafala system, right? Uh, the kafala system is a, it's a legal system. Um, and, and, and I think it relates to, to most of the Gulf, uh, except maybe, I think, Iraq. Uh, but the kafala system is a, a sort of legal system uh, that defines the relationship, I think, between the foreign migrant worker uh, and the private entity that you're going to be working for. Uh, so right. in terms of defining that relationship, then it's actually, I like what you said in terms of it not being the Qatar government, that was actually one of the issues uh, that were defined in, in terms of this discourse that had been running for about 12 years because it takes away, it, it places more emphasis on the private entity rather than mm. on the government. Um, and, mm. the, and the problem uh, with the kafala system, I'm not completely, uh, like I don't know all aspects of it, but from what I understand, uh, one of the main issues is it's almost like then the private entity or the sponsor that is taking you on, uh, kind yeah. of, it's, it's sort of like it has an unfair ownership of you. So even if you, right. if you go there and you want to switch jobs, you need to get uh, sort of written consent from the private mm -hmm. entity to be able to do that, which is, you know, it's a little bit strange because why would the, the entity that is sponsoring you uh, for a certain uh, uh, portfolio or certain work, uh, why would it want to let you go then uh, to another place? Uh, and then in mm -hmm. terms of talking about gaps, in terms of talking about uh, players, you know, corrupt players maybe, uh, there would yeah. always be situations where these uh, these entities, these private entities, these companies uh, would kind of have an unfair advantage over you. There's also been discussion about how migrant workers have to actually pay a fee, uh, like a very large fee, in order for them to actually get that sponsorship and, and, and be taken down to those countries. Um, and then they have to actually... Uh, be in those places of work no matter what the sort of situation is because they don't want to come back to their home countries because they have loans to pay in terms of mm. what was, you know, what they've given up in order to be uh, in those places of work. Um, so I think that discussion really came up. But I know with Qatar that uh, somewhere around 2020, um, the ILO, that's the International Labour uh, organization put out a statement that they, it had been working alongside uh, the Qatar government in order to solve a lot of these issues 
to do with the kafala system. So I know that paper was actually out in 2020 uh, in terms right. of what they had been doing, uh, what had improved. And this was mainly in terms of a discussion regarding the World Cup. Right. So this sounds to me, I mean, the narrative that goes around with the Kafala system is that it's like modern day slavery. Slavery. It yes. actually sounds like that because you're basically... Yeah. You know, lured in with false pretenses that you'll be doing better, but really you're stuck in a system and not be able, uh, not able to get out of it. Yeah. Um, I understand that they kind of abolished it in 26, not abolished, but they they placed reforms against it. Yeah. There were reforms against it in 2016, but it's still existent today. Sure. So the question is, even though the World Cup is over, because all of this limelight and focus is was just the lead up to the World Cup. Sure. Is this situation still existing? Uh, in the, in Qatar and Doha. Yeah, it's and it's not it's not just in in Qatar. It's actually um, the 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 kafala system is pretty much almost all of the Gulf. Um, it, it, yeah, and and of course, like you said, there's a lot of reform that is happening uh, in different places uh, with different agencies in terms of uh, governments of all of these uh, these countries, but. It is a system that has still been in play and people who advocate for the kafala system, and this is going back in history, um, their, uh, their discussion was that it really uh, it assists uh, local, uh, uh, local businesses uh, and it helps to really speed up development uh, in terms of looking at it from a local perspective. Uh, and it also provides um, uh, jobs uh, to to migrant workers from developing countries. That, that is the sort of discussion that is on the other side, right? Right. Uh, but that yeah. sounds like a that sounds like a silver. Is that an actual silver lining, though? Like, for example, let's take Sri Lanka. For example, we got yeah. tons of people heading out yeah. of Sri Lanka to go work in these Middle Eastern countries. Yeah. Uh, like, what is the benefit for? those families specifically, and then like, how does that trickle into Sri Lanka? Yeah, I You think, can state the obvious and then stuff that yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think you can argue it both ways, Jason. I really think you can argue it both ways. Um, I, I, I'm, I know stories of people um, who actually, actually my, uh, my dad uh, worked, worked in Oman for a very long time. Uh, of course, he worked uh, for the police. Uh, but um, uh, we we know a lot of the the communities there in terms of so maybe I could share from that point of view. So you you know a lot of um, uh, uh, good lessons learned. Uh, you know a lot of good stories in terms of uh, how people from countries like us uh, us go over there um, and and they earn in ways that it doesn't seem possible for them to earn if they were living here in Sri Lanka, right? Um, so there are stories like that, and then they are able to come back. They're able to start their own businesses here. They are, they're able to actually kind of change uh, the trajectory of their lives uh, uh, if they had stayed here in Sri Lanka. So they're able to change a lot of that. Um, and then at the same time, there are also, um, um, I would say, uh, very difficult stories to digest in terms of migrant workers from countries like ours uh, that go um, to uh, Middle Eastern countries uh, and then you almost don't hear from them. Uh, you don't know where they go. Um, and I think that also comes down to the sort of 
framework and I think there's been more discussion in the last 10 years in terms of proper frameworks, in terms of proper accountability, in terms of uh, governments on both sides uh, taking accountability for the lives of these migrant workers. Um, but I think you could argue it uh, both ways for sure. Yeah, because one of the, one of the things that they were talking about, like from the like the total revenue that they made from this World Cup, that they were gonna, like I think it was four hundred forty five million uh, was gonna be compensated to the families that were affected. Yeah, uh, I think Human the, Rights from Watch from the migrant workers that were affected, right? Yeah, yeah, I think Human Rights Watch made a sort of statement and said, um, so I'm not sure what the prize money is for the for the World Cup, yeah. uh, but. But Human Rights Watch had said something like, uh, you could actually take that amount uh, that was uh, allocated for the prize money of the World Cup and you need to give that uh, to the families of migrant workers who lost their lives during X amount yeah. of years uh, as compensation. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, that makes a lot of sense. We just need to make sure that the news still covers that topic yeah. and it's not just for the world cup because yeah. it sounds really good oh, okay maybe it ends in a softer note but yeah. it really is like will somebody be actually monitoring this but like you yeah. said if these organizations are actually keeping track of where this money is going and if it actually does benefit the people that actually did put in the work to build this yeah new city so yeah so but going I, back to what sorry go ahead yeah no it, it's just that um so if if i could if we could talk about some of the stuff that we kind of discussed on Perspective South regarding this as right. well. Um, yeah. One of the main things that we were talking about regarding the World Cup was, okay, yes, there is all of this discussion about Qatar. Um, there is all of this um, sort of information that is now reaching us about uh, migrant rights, um, all of that. Um, but the question was whether there was a sort of uh, double standard involved because it was Qatar, be because it's a, uh, it was a Middle Eastern country. So um, the discussion did start off being about migrant worker rights. Um, and then it, uh, it went into um, uh, about um, homosexuality, uh, about uh, cultural uh, and religious uh, laws in the Middle East. Uh, it, it went into a discussion about the fact that um, there was no alcohol being sold uh, anywhere close by uh, at the World Cup. There was all of these sort of discussions uh, and, and larger voices in terms of uh, a boycott. I think it was started off um, with um, the Australian team uh, that came out first uh, and said that there needs to be greater discussion about these things that are happening in Qatar. Uh, migrant rights was one aspect of that. Um, later on, I think while the World Cup was going on, um, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a, a, a French uh, publication that had done uh, a caricature of what they said was the Qatar team. I don't know if you were able to see that, uh, but it was actually, um, it was uh, 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 these bearded, turban-wearing team uh, that had guns. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, it was a caricature of, of uh, what uh, that newspaper believed to be uh, terrorists from the Middle East. Um, 
and so there was uh, then there was also i think um when the moroccan team uh, won against belgium i think um and and mind you i don't follow sports uh, that closely but i did follow this one because it was so interest, interesting in terms of the social political cultural discussion that was happening um the moroccan team when they won uh, they had actually traveled to qatar with their families as in their parents um everybody was there and their mothers were kind of on the front line uh and every time they kind of scored a goal they would run to their mums and when they won that match they you know they were hugging their mums it was yeah. to me it looked it it looked beautiful uh but i think there was a belgian news service uh that was talking about that win and they likened that situation uh to uh, a group of monkeys <laughs> meeting um and so you know there was there was all of this yeah. sort of um uh blatant uh it, it seemed like racist discourse that you feel like we've already moved past that um right. that we should be so past it uh but it kind of came out uh during this world cup so so we felt that that was also interesting uh in right. terms of a sort of double standard look uh because it was in the middle east um and that that's something that can be uh discussed further as well right so let's let's understand qatar i mean the country itself is really young mm-hmm. uh i mean it gained its independence in like the 1970s or something like that i'm not even i'm not yeah. sure don't quote me on that yeah. <laughs> um but i know they're relatively really young and it consists of like at its core it's like it's a tribal society like mm-hmm. they still you know believe in like they have different tribes that make up um the percentage the min- it's weird because they're also a minority within their own country because migrants make up a majority of the population within this country yeah. but it's still like governed by these 30 odd tribes but there's this one particular tribal family or tribal society sorry that would be the right vernacular some more tribal society that uh that is kind of governing currently is that correct is that is that how it yeah. depicted right now i'm 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 not an expert on the on the on the system it's uh, i'm i'm no expert <laughs> um, we here yeah, and i'm yeah. not sure yeah but uh, i think it's but yeah yeah but i mean in terms of talking about uh tribal society if you're talking about uh roots in terms of um lots of places uh in the gulf uh yeah in terms of roots of course that that would be the case right um but the point is for for the world cup uh there was too much uh if anything emphasis uh on those roots um there was some beautiful stuff that i saw coming out in terms of so so because this was the the first time a middle eastern uh country was hosting the world cup um there was a sort of a lot of solidarity in terms of if you look at the gulf it's very diverse each one of the countries you know they all have their differences but with this world cup what you saw was a lot of solidarity in terms of arab states kind of coming together and saying we are one right uh, which was in a way it was very beautiful and also it came from the fact uh, that there was all of this sort of larger and louder uh, and more global 
narrative of why it shouldn't be hosted in Qatar. And it was nice to see that lots of Gulf states that had differences that politically might not align usually on the global stage. So one of the cool things about uh, this World Cup was the fact that um, it was the first time that it was hosted, like I said, in a Middle Eastern country. Um, and and one of the things that the Gulf states, um, in terms of spectators, uh, what happened was that there was a lot of solidarity. Uh, so the Gulf states spectators, they came together and it was like, uh, every match that was played by an Arab country, it didn't matter which Arab country you were from, uh, you showed a sort of solidarity that you were one. Um, I think it was interesting that the the, the Palestinian um, ambassador uh, to the UN in New York, um, he made a statement during the World Cup and he said, and this was before the World Cup was, was finished, nobody knew who was going to win it, uh, but he made a statement saying that it's very clear uh, who the winner of the World Cup is this year uh, and that it was Palestine. Uh, which I thought was uh, quite interesting uh, because uh, in terms of uh, sports and politics, um, in the past, there's sort of been, um, there's sort of been a, 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 a non-written policy that you keep sp uh, sports and politics uh, separate from one another. Um, and I think in, um, in the recent past, uh, there's been some discussion. Uh, uh, sports people have been warned in terms of Arab states uh, to not bring the Israel-Palestine issue into sports. That has been the sort of norm. Um, so you haven't seen it. You haven't seen it uh, before this time. But what happened with the Russia-Ukraine issue uh, last year uh, was that um, the world sports body... Uh, uh, decided uh, to to ban Russian sports people uh, from being part of 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 different elements. Like uh, there was Iron Man, uh, there was uh, tennis opens. There were even uh, pet shows, global pet shows, uh, that put out statements saying that Russian pet owners can't take part in these events. Um, so what happened with that, I think it was uh, an Egyptian uh, tennis player uh, at the beginning of last year that actually came on stage to get his uh, medal. Uh, and he said something like, well, you know, up to this point, we've always been told to keep global politics out of sports. But I'm so glad that that has been changed now. Um, and I want to say something about Palestine. Um, so it was interesting. This World Cup was also interesting because um, if you look at some of the the matches that were played, you'll see uh, a, a constant flow of Palestinian flags. Um, you'd see a, a lot of um, messaging uh, from different teams regarding it. Um, so it was a very interesting World Cup also because it was 2022 and you have... Um, all of this discussion that's happening with uh, Ukraine and Russia, you're talking about uh, the fact that you've decided to keep certain sports people um, uh, in, in other different fields uh, out because of the Russia-Ukraine issue. And because of that, you are seeing it sort of feeding to the World Cup uh, in terms of um, 
voices and discussion and solidarity and support uh, in terms of Palestine. So I, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from a general context, though, when I, when I look at, I mean, if we look at our history, politics isn't everything. It is, and sports <laughs> especially, like the yeah. Olympics itself. Yeah, is like a prime example of if a country was to win, because you're playing on people's emotions, yeah. specifically pride. Yeah, when I see a Sri Lankan beating an American in the hundred meter dash. And they're like, that, that's a, that's a prideful thing. Your yeah. emotions are on the rise. You're ready to serve your nation. You're so proud. Yeah. And I feel like Russia obviously understood that yeah. many years ago during the Olympics when they, you know, supposedly, allegedly had most of their athletes on steroids. I yeah. mean, which country doesn't personally, I think everyone's on steroids. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, because it is a tool when you, when you feel like, yeah, my country is strong enough to do so. And then you utilize that emotion of pride. And mm -hmm. then you, do whatever you're doing in your own respective country of saying, oh, we need to attack this particular country because this is X, Y, and Z. There's no doubt yeah. you're going to join the army. Yeah. There's no doubt you're going to serve. Yeah. And so I feel like it's always been there. Yeah. And it's just trickling with the World Cup all over the place yeah. um, as it normally would. Yeah. And yeah, man, I feel like politics is never going to leave sport. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and that's true. And that's true. So so what what's being said actually is uh, in terms of uh, up until 2022, uh, that there's been a very uh, strong statement being made uh, by Western bodies uh, that we need to keep politics and sports separate. Uh, but that with the Ukraine-Russia issue, that that kind of just flew out the door and it was like, no, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's it's very much part of it. Um, and, and so I thought it was interesting because also after um, after the World Cup, um, I think in the last couple of weeks or months, um, there's also been the um, the Australian Open, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the Australian Open, I think, and and so uh, there was a, a a discussion being made because there was a there was a, a Russian and a Belarusian um, uh, athletes who were taking part, uh, and there had been a statement made that uh, there should be no flags, uh, Russian flags or Belarus flags in the crowd. Uh, that had been yeah. a statement. And that these athletes can take part, but they can take part as um, private athletes. They're not representing a country. Uh, they're just taking part as private athletes. And I think the athlete from Belarus actually won. Um, so so that was interesting, yeah? And it'll be so, interesting. So, yeah. Sh sorry. sorry you, go ahead. No, well, you were going to say something. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to ask, like, what are your... so. Do you, do you personally, when you look at that, that yeah. situation, right? Yeah. Like, let's put, okay, so Russia is in the world context. Yeah. In their world. Yeah. Or the government's eyes, the Russian government, they're doing something that is entitled to them. Yeah. Uh, from the rest of the world, it's like, how could you do this? You're going yeah. to war. Yeah. You've had something like this for many, many years. Yeah. In your perspective, even if a country was to attack another one. Yes. Should that country be sanctioned off and put in a category like Russia is treated today yeah. to not represent itself in this world collective. I absolutely. Does this push this country further away from diplomacy, exactly. conversation, exactly. being able to, yeah, just yeah. be, you, you, to, you, you have this dialogue going. Yeah, you, you've answered it, Jason. You, you've, you've already answered the question. Uh, <laughs> no, really, because, I mean, 
so th- that's the point, right? That's what Gulf states were saying. Gulf states came out with, uh, with these Palestinian flags. It was like a sea of Palestinian flags because they were saying, look, up until this point in time, you told us that at sports events, we can't talk about Israel and Palestine. You told us we can't do that. And we never did it because you told us, let's keep politics out of sports. Let's use sports as a sort of... Um, uh, this factor that brings us together, yeah? But now suddenly with the Russia-Ukraine issue, you're saying Russia can't even take part, don't, don't even bring them in here, don't even bring their, um, their flags in here. So you made it political. So now we feel like we can talk about it, right? But, but you've already answered the question because w- what is the point, if we look at it, what is the point of um, diplomacy? Why do we need diplomacy? Uh, why do we need mediation? Why do we need discussion? Okay, it sounds very cliche, but it's world peace. That's what we want. We're, we're always talking about world peace. You ask a Miss World or a Miss Universe, she wants world peace, right? <laughs> uh, but but the point is, how do you yeah. how do you achieve world peace if you're going to go to the extent of going to a global pet show? where people come with their dogs and their cats and you're saying Russian pet owners can't take part in this show, okay? Um, I, I have to say, uh, looking at it from a perspective of uh, from Sri Lanka, we had a war here for 30 years, okay? But right. there would be a lot of us here who were divided in terms of uh, uh, how... Um, what the modalities of the war was uh, regarding how different political parties handled the war. Um, In terms of of being civilians, we would have differing views of what different governments were doing at the time. And I think that would be the same for Russia. So why are you taking things like sports? Why are you taking people like athletes? Why are you taking people uh, like spectators? And you're putting them into this category where you are really pushing them further away and you're othering them. yeah. And that leaves no room for sort of discussion. You don't want to come to the table if you are separated so far from everybody else. Right. So I. I, Yeah. Yeah. I really think it's Natasha that. We're, it's like like we're trying to make them even more angry. Exactly. Right? It's like we're almost trying to start another war. Exactly. I mean, who would want that, right? <laughs> oh exactly. Uh. Exactly. It's a good. It's a. It's a very good. Uh, if if it's if if it's taken as a, a sort of uh, a gimmick, uh, in terms of you thinking, uh, how do we ensure that they never come to the table? to kind mm. of uh, have uh, mediation talks or peace talks or whatever yeah. it is. It's a good, it's a good um, system to use in that sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this really overall just proves to us if there's an audience, no matter what it is, yeah. you can make a statement and you can change people's minds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and the World Cup is a testament to that. Yeah. Um, but speaking of like, like the current instability in the world or the narrative that the world is unstable. Uh, China's uh, supposedly, allegedly flying their spyware weather balloon Mm -hmm. America. Is this true? Is this legit? I mean, I've been, I've been reading up on it. Um, So, so of course, if you, if you Google it, uh, you have access 
to a lot of articles and a lot of discussion from the point of view uh, of the United States. I found like right. one article uh, regarding a statement that was made, I think, from the Chinese Foreign Ministry, uh, the spokesperson of the Chinese Foreign Ministry, um, who had said something like um, they had informed the United States, and I don't know in terms of dates, I'm still searching for that and I can't find dateline, uh, but they had right. informed, uh, the Chinese government had informed the United States government um, that this balloon was, uh, I think the wording they used was a civilian unmanned balloon um, for weather research, yeah, right. uh, that had kind of strayed into U.S. airspace um, and that they had already informed the government regarding that. Right. Um, and then after that, I think because um, after this whole issue, uh, Secretary uh, Anthony had said that he's kind of, um, uh, he's decided to stall because he was supposed to travel to China. And now he's decided uh, that he's going to kind of delay it or they haven't decided on dates or whatever. Um, and I think the Ch Chinese foreign ministry had said something like, um, everybody really needs to stay calm, <laughs> more so the United <laughs> States at this point in time. Um, and we need to, you know, just have more discussion. And we've always tried to be sort of uh, open about this. But there's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, question marks, because I think yeah. during uh, even during that um, statement being made, one of the journalists had asked uh, what company had made the balloon. Um, and I think they hadn't answered that question. Um, now some of the articles were saying that because, so it was shot down. And I think now uh, U.S. officials are going to be studying uh, the debris of the balloon to actually see right. if it was a spy balloon. So I think, you know, a lot of the questions would be answered from that point in time. Um, right. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could speculate because like one of the things I was I, I'm very skeptical when it comes to when the news is focuses on something a bit too much. You're like, yeah. why are they why yeah. are they pushing that? Yeah. I mean, there's two ways to look at it from a obviously from an average American in Montana looking up and you're seeing something and then somebody tells you it's spyware. Yeah. You're going to obviously be like, oh, those Chinese are really trying to like get in our land and you know take away the, the good old American earth. Yeah. Uh, that's one side. Eddie Gallagher, this former this veteran. Uh, posted something very bizarre uh, for him to because I because I, I love when people kind of quote things from storybooks. And he said, you know, chicken was a chicken little chicken little said, don't don't look up. You best believe yeah. that while you're looking up, the government is doing something else. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. it could be one of those things where, you know, the U.S. government is like, oh, yeah, China ah, look, yeah, yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then they're doing some shady shit yeah. on the other side. Yeah, it it's almost sounds like we're we're dripping we're drip affecting the U.S. to believe that China is the enemy. Yeah, I mean, putting all of the rest of the, the issues with China aside, that China is the enemy, and that we really need to gear up. Yeah, um, yeah, against them yeah. in the near future. Yeah, and 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 that's why it was. I I mean, I I'm still searching for it uh, in terms of understanding because ch China's. Every statement that I've uh, read by China says something like, uh, we had informed that, you know, it strayed into U.S. airspace um, and, and that happened by mistake. But in terms of dates, 
you know, because because that's important to know. Because was it that uh, the U.S. government was informed by the Chinese government, hey, this unmanned balloon has come into your space, and then the articles come out saying a spy balloon, Chinese spy balloon in airspace. It's important right. to know um, those sort of, because if it is a spy balloon, um, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of China yeah. informing the yeah. U.S. government. You know what I mean? Um, Fair enough. So, yeah. So it's just... Well, I mean, like you said, we, we'll never know until like the stuff comes out. Yeah. I mean, if the research even comes out, credible, credible yeah. evidence comes out. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you in terms of like China's dialogue or from what we what we receive in obviously the U.S. and Sri Lanka, it's it's a very like negative press towards China. Yeah. Right. But and I wanted to find out, I understand that they have like their own way of doing diplomacy. It's called the wolf warrior diplomacy. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, what, what exactly what in the world? First of all, that sounds freaking cool. <laughs> wolf warrior diplomacy. I want some of that yeah. diplomacy. <laughs> what what is that? Though? Um, okay, so I I think we we I think we touched on this uh, very um, very vaguely last time that I was here uh, in terms of different communication styles, uh, and I think something that we talked about was if you take uh, if you take media as an apparatus uh, that is being used as a sort of um, uh, a, a weapon. Um, there's nobody who does it as well as the West. Yeah, um, mm. I, I would think even in terms of uh, okay, for instance, we'll take this uh, the thing with the balloon, right? Uh, you you one one media organization names it, uh, and it says uh, Chinese spy balloon. Okay, not even alleged. It's Chinese spy balloon. And then everybody picks it up. Within an hour, it's just yeah. confirmed that it's a Chinese yeah. spy balloon that's out there. Uh, even, yeah. even with different um, uh, terminology, I remember, uh, I remember during COVID time, uh, I think it was President Trump at the time who said something like, it's, uh, the, COVID is the Kung Flu. Yeah, he said it. Uh, he, and and just within an hour, uh, there were so many articles that were written that, that used the same terminology, right? Um, yeah, I'm guilty of that too. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because, yeah. because it's, a good, it's a good apparatus to use and it's a good machine mm. in terms of yeah. how it's being used and in terms of how certain words uh, are amplified. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this the other day uh, in terms of the war in Sri Lanka. Um, there was wording that was used by a specific media, uh, international media organization. Uh, and they said tens of thousands of civilians were killed. Okay. Up until that point in time, there was actually, there were, there were numbers being used uh, by the government, by certain NGOs, by certain international governments, there was a number being used, but that international uh, media organization suddenly started saying the word uh, tens of thousands of civilians, and then everyone picked up on that. And within about six months, even UN reports had the wording tens of thousands of civilians. So it's really in terms of a communication style, um, yeah. I, I don't know if you watched um, 
during 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 the world cup uh, there was also i think there was cop 27 that was happening in egypt and there was also i think a g20 uh, summit that was happening um in yeah. indonesia and i can't remember if it was during that one specifically but there was um xi jinping who actually uh uh walks up to i think um was it the canadian pm uh yeah Canadian Prime Minister yeah. Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and you know that's very the the way he walks up to him in the corridor like that. That is not Chinese diplomacy. You know, they would not do that. Um, so mm. you have to understand how upset he must have been at that point in time to actually walk up to him in that way and say, "Hey, you know, what are you up to?" Because what had happened was uh, they had had a closed door meeting, and so in yes. diplomatic terms. you have a closed door meeting which means you're you're discussing um uh very sensitive um uh stuff that is sensitive to both governments and so you're having closed door meetings that is not open to the press in any way uh and then usually it would be decided by the two governments if you're going to put anything out in terms of a joint statement or or even in terms of a statement that you're making you would decide what that wording would be to put out to press uh but what had happened was this closed door meeting had happened and then uh someone obviously from the canadian side had leaked basically everything that was said uh to the press uh and so yeah. obviously the chinese were very upset about that um yeah. so i think also in terms of and fair enough as you should be like as you should be I, yeah yeah, yeah. Which, which is not a bad thing but people can look at that take that out of context and be like oh what an a hole exactly like just walking that <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly and and the point is it's easier for us uh to put certain countries into that category of to use yep. the french a hole <laughs> uh to uh-huh. you know to to put certain countries into that category because in terms yep. of their communication style we don't identify with them yeah yep. um so um for for instance i mean uh we could we could all be very critical for instance of uh us foreign policy uh but if you are listening to somebody from the d- administration talking um and communicating something to you you might be able to identify better with that person than you would be in terms of identifying with somebody um from from the chinese or russian administration you know it's right. it's just in terms of the way uh it's it's globalization it's it's uh yeah. the media apparatus it's all of these different things uh it's yeah. also the movies that we watch uh and the media right. that we consume um that really puts us in uh to this sort of um uh perspective or point of view uh that yeah. helps us to to maybe understand or identify better with one yeah rather than the other which is why it's so easy also then for us to categorize uh like during the world cup with qatar uh in terms of framing or putting uh, a a group of states or one state into a sort of box right yeah it's easier to make an enemy mm-hmm. but it's harder to understand your enemy exactly um and it's china rightfully so i mean with the intellectual property rights and all of that stuff put it, put aside with the way they do business and stuff they still come from a genuine place they're yeah. still coming as a government 
that is still trying to have their version of diplomacy and still trying to keep the the dialogue going with the rest of the countries. Yeah. I can definitely see it now in today's context with how the news media, like you said, are just master weavers yeah. to you know fold us like origami and make us feel like yeah. this is it. This is the path. This is what you're seeing. World War Four is inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know I mean, and so, exactly, and lucrative. I mean, that was. <laughs> I mean, Tulsi Gabbard is uh, the American politician. Really, does paint a very like dark picture yes. of our future. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. For the world. Yeah. And which she, is really scary. Yeah, and she she talks a lot about um, the military industrial complex. Uh, I don't know if you yep. watched it. Yeah, and uh, that's 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 really interesting because uh, and and that. Uh, that terminology came in, I think, during the 50s, during the Cold War with uh, the USSR and, and the US. Um, but it talks about how um, the, the US uh, system is, is predominantly sort of dependent on war. And it's this military-industrial yep. complex. Um, yep. And so how there are uh, different members of Congress who are also... Uh, board members on large uh, weapons manufacturing uh, organizations. Uh, she goes deeply into that, right? And she's talking from it from a sort of inside perspective, uh, yep. which has sort of different aspects also that you need to consider when you're watching the news, when you're watching different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to, to understand the full picture for sure. Mm -hmm. But this is, this is insightful. This is beautiful, Natasha. Thank you. Thank um, you, Jason. I think... I think it gives us a, it's really good for us to even understand. Like I wanted, I'm so glad we're having this conversation post the world cup because yeah. the emotions are high. Yeah. People are like really actually rooting at the game yeah. and they're talking all of this stuff, but nobody really wants to talk about it post all of the interest is gone. Sure. Um, and, and we're fresh into 2023 and it's just important to, to kind of shed light into the reality of what, what we were doing and what we're facing today. For sure. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. This is cool. This is great. We should do this again. We should do this more often. For sure. We should do this again. Let's. Let's do it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for joining. And to all six followers, maybe we probably <laughs> gained one after today. Uh, thank you for watching. Make sure you visit our YouTube and our Spotify and iTunes. I think we're on pretty much every platform. Just look for I'm no dot expert and make sure you subscribe and support us because your listening uh, time really helps us. It makes us feel like we're doing something good in, <laughs> in our lives. All right. Thank you, everybody. I'll Thanks, you Jason. Bye.